You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Wednesday. Coming to you live from our studios here on South College Street, my name is J.J. Jackson. On the program with me today, I've got Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry, and we've got a lot of fun things to get into throughout today's edition of Sports Call. Big win last night for the Atlanta Braves. They have won five straight National League Eastern Division titles, and we'll talk about Auburn football's game coming up here against Georgia on Saturday. Going to be a great show. Glad that you're with us. JJ, Tom, Cam, and Ryan in the studio. Tom Peavy, how are you? Uh, Doing great. and Yeah, big win for the Braves last night. Uh, to go ahead and get that uh, get that Eastern Division title, but they did have to stress us out, didn't they? they, they it's did. n- it's they, never easy. It's never easy. Never easy. Um, had to had to make us just just tense up just a little bit. Yeah. Hey, well, you know, and they so they chased down the Mets. They they were ten and a half games back uh, in June of the Mets, and it really looked like the Mets were just going to kind of run away with this. But the Braves got hot, and they just kept chasing them down, chasing them down, and finally. Uh, the Braves get that sweep over the Mets, take a two-game lead into the Marlins series. The Braves did lose that first game against the Marlins, which I think was not very unexpected because you're on such a high from sweeping yeah. the Mets, and you celebrate, and you immediately get on a plane, fly down to Miami, and play that very it's next a bit day. Of a hangover. Yeah, and so you had to kind of expect that. But then last night, you're rested up, you're ready to go, and and you really kind of thought the Braves would just knock it out of the park there. They win 2-1, to one, a great Great pitching performance by Odorizzi. And then the bullpen held on. But the bats uh, just could not get the timely hits. They left a lot of guys on base. Uh, But the two runs were enough. And all the Braves had to do was get the one win of the three against the Marlins or a Mets loss. Fortunately, the Braves got that win because the Mets swept a doubleheader. Yeah, uh, and so would. if the Braves lost, and it would come down to today, <sighs> and I you would don't either that stress you would nobody life. wants to go through that, right? I don't you need would that stress in my life, yeah. And so, but fortunately, no stress, and the Braves were able to celebrate and celebrate. They did. Uh, the The locker room scenes were. I couldn't stop laughing at poor Kelly Kroll in in the locker room, uh, trying to interview people, and her just getting sprayed with champagne. It, it was funny. It was quite she was the scene. Uh, Kenley Jensen in there with his shirt off, running around. You know, it's so fun to watch that. But she asked Kenley what it was going to take to keep this team moving forward, and Kenley Jansen said, "One game at a time, one, at a one time, inning yeah. at a time, one at bat at a time, one pitch at a time." And Kelly Curl walked away with the interview and said, "Kenley, now go one bottle at a time one, and enjoy yeah. the celebration." <laughs> yep. And I appreciated that she said that. That yeah. was very clever. So uh, yeah, just congrats a, to the Braves. Congrats to the Braves. 
Five time, five in a row. On to the playoffs they go. They're playing a game right now. It's game 162, about to see first pitch between Atlanta and Miami. Major League Baseball doing something great, starting all of the final games at the exact same time, uh, which is tremendous. Uh, We're already seeing the Mets and Nationals in a rain delay, however, so that's not fun. Uh, Cam, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, Enjoying this Wednesday. I went to lunch with my dad, got to see him, catch up with him a little bit. Um, Yeah, just, you know, go Braves, baby. You know, five-time division division champs. I love it. Love to see it. Let's keep it going. Keep it rolling into the playoffs. But, yeah, I'm doing great. Ryan LaVoy, what's up, man? Uh, what's up? Uh, good to be back. Um, yeah, obviously last night there was some stress with the Braves game uh, just because they left so many runners on base. I think they left 10 or 11 on. Sheesh. And so it was stressful because you usually that type of thing comes back to bite you. But when you're an excellent team, when you've won 100 games, you find ways to win no matter the case – there so uh, I'm excited about the playoffs for Major League Baseball too obviously uh, they've already given up times and and locations because all the teams are set now for Friday Saturday and potentially Sunday as well the Braves first playoff game will be next Tuesday uh, against the winner of the Phillies and Cardinals series and so um, very exciting to know the Braves got that done I said all year long I thought the Mets would win the division so I was wrong and I'm glad to be wrong um the Mets won 100 games too and this was a very tough race yeah the loser was always going to be remorseful because they had played such great baseball and in the Mets case leading the division practically all year not to win it and of course the the benefits of winning this division are twofold because not only did i mention you know the braves get this by they play next tuesday but the path for the mets is just much more difficult because yeah, yeah. a they've got the padres and so they the they're dodgers. in the wild card series but b they got the dodgers exactly yeah. so um you know don't that, want that that would have been the braves if they had uh, lost another game uh in truest park or two so uh very excited for the braves and obviously i know Give some thoughts a little bit later on on Auburn and, and everything else going on, but but glad to be back and talking sports with everyone. All of our sports call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years. You can visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. Your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member FDIC, equal housing lender, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at one 9 tiger 9 As we go to the phone lines for the first time during today's show, and joining us on the program, we've got... Russell from Auburn. Russell has called into Sports Call here today. Hello, friend. Well, good good thing that the Braves did win, because talking Auburn football has been very depressing. So <laughs> true. Let, yep. Let's talk about something that we can all get behind there and we excited go. about. And, uh, yeah, you guys have all said what needed to be said to open the show. Obviously, with everything going on with the Braves and 114-game pace since June 1st. So, really, it's not about the Mets collapsing. It's just the Braves were the best team in baseball since June 1st. So, it's just, you know, I I think it's funny that the Mets can't win the division and Hatton and – forever um you know i think tom glavin was on the last team that they actually won a division in the east um do you guys know how many so there's been 28 division titles in the nl east since they since they reformatted and and put the braves in the east because i don't know if you guys are old enough i know tom is the braves in the west West. yeah Yeah. i mean so there's been 28 times you know how many times have the braves won the east in 28 tries 
I know they have 22 division titles, but I, I'm not sure of the split between the West 17, and the East 19, there. Yeah, 19? it's 17. 17. 17 Ryan's spot on. So smart, yeah. Ryan. Yeah, 17 of 28. So, you know, this, this run really to back it up with what happened with the um, – you know the run that Bobby Cox went on. I mean, it's it's really impressive that you know we pretty much win the East a vast majority of the time, and I mean that's almost a sixty percent clip, if my math is right, and that's pretty good. Um, I don't know that it gets much gets much better than that. And when are we going to start talking about? And I don't know how much he, longer he's going to manage the Braves, but when do we start talking about Snicker? Putting him up there where Bobby Cox is, because I mean he's already got a World Series, and he's won five in a row since he became manager full time. He didn't win his first year, but his first year wasn't a full year. So you know, he, ever since he's been a full time manager, he's he's pretty much won the division. Yeah. So when when do we start talking about Snicker, and then when do we start talking about Alex Anthopoulos being on Scherholz's level? Because this isn't going to stop. This, if anything, we're going to only get better. And to have as many guys locked up as they have locked up for the periods of time. I mean, Max Freed is about the only guy that comes due with a contract in 2024. Well, Swanson, obviously, we got to do something about Dansby. I don't think that that's going to be an issue like it was with Freeman, though. I think I think Dansby's back on this team for the foreseeable future in this offseason, if not before. But, um, you know, I think Dansby wants to be here. Not to say that Freddie didn't, uh, with watching him cry and everything, because I think he did want to be here. But whatever went down between him and his agent is between them. And, I mean, the Braves, to me, made generous offers, and he could still be here if he really wanted to be. So I feel like Dansby will be here. And, and the rest of these guys that they've got locked up, this, this is going to be a team that's going to be together for a long period of time. And they've shown that they can win at the highest level and they can be one of the best teams in baseball when they're healthy. So I just I think that Snicker and, and Anthopolis are, are creeping up there in those conversations of some of the best managers and, and uh, GMs that this organization's ever had. And I've also got another little trivia question for you guys. I don't know if y'all saw this when we played the Mets on Sunday. Okay. So... Dansby and Matt Olson both hit three home runs in that series against the Mets. There's four other people that have done that in a series against the Mets for the Braves. Who are those four people? And I'll give you a hint on one of them. One of them is on the team right now and plays every day. Wow. Uh, is Chipper Jones one of them? Obviously. Yeah, yeah. naming a child Shay. That's, uh, that's pretty yeah. impressive. Another current player. Either Acuna or Riley, you would think. Yeah, Austin Riley. Okay. He did it last year. Uh, Chipper Jones. There's two other players. Let me say Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones. And then one other player, one of the most famous Braves of all time, that's not Hank Aaron. Uh, Dale Murphy. Dale Murphy. There you go. You guys got it. All right. So y'all been paying attention. Teamwork. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you guys got any questions for me, or I'm gonna run? No, I'm. I mean, I'm just looking forward to uh, the the playoff run here for this team, and everybody's playing their best baseball. I think the bullpen deserves. A, I saw a stat on the MLB Network. I have to pull it back up. That it's just unbelievable. They've also decided to play their best baseball in September and October, and lead the in the past month and a half. The Braves bullpen has had like a one four. ERA or something insane like that. And that's what it's going to take, like we saw last year, making sure your bullpen's in a good spot. 
Do you want the Braves? When you talk about when you talk about winning baseball, you talk about pitching. You know, and and that's the old adage is pitching always beats hitting. And that was the reason why the Braves won the won the World Series last year was because of their starting pitching and their bullpen. Will Smith, and I know he's not on the team now, but Will Smith didn't give up a run in the postseason. When your closer is just automatic lights out in playoff baseball, it absolutely totally changes the game for you. So I know Kenley's had some struggles, but he's, I'm pretty sure he still leads the majors in saves this year. So if Kenley can just get three outs, then that's a huge game difference maker for any team, you know? And I just feel like you're right, J.J. The bullpen is a huge piece to where what this team has done since June, and it will be a huge piece as to their if they have success or not in the postseason. So um, bullpen's big. Starting pitching is huge, and we know what we got with our starters. Getting Spencer Strider back is going to be awesome. But let's talk about, like, and then I'll let you go. Like Ryan was saying before I got on the, the air, it is absolutely massive that we get to face the Cardinals or the Phillies, probably the Cardinals because I don't think the Phillies are very good, and they've got to go to St. Louis for the majority of that series, if not, I think, the whole thing. Isn't the wild card the whole thing in St. Louis? Yeah, all wild card series, all three are right. at home. Yep. So they, they have to go win a, win a road series at Bush Stadium, which is not likely. So you're looking at getting the Cardinals and then – the Dodgers to go to the World Series again like last year. So that's a huge, huge task that the Mets are going to have to go and and play San Diego at home, which I think they'll probably win that series. But you never know. San Diego has a good team, and you never know with the Mets. But having to go face the Dodgers, the Braves don't want to go face the Dodgers over there in a championship series. That's a shortened series. I'd rather have a seven-game series. Yes, they have four games at home, but you get that three-game stretch in Atlanta. All you got to do is win one game out there, and, and we know how these – they're the best team in baseball at home. It's not even close. So, you know, it, it's 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 just huge that they, that they won those three games, and that's what it took. It was going to take a sweep of the Mets, and I said that about a month and a half ago when I called in and I said – or the beginning of September, I told you guys, I said – if the Braves can just stay close and sweep that series against the Mets and have the tiebreaker, then they can host that. They can they can be the division champs, and that's exactly what they had to do, and they did it, and it's just huge. But anyway, I'm rambling, guys. I appreciate y'all taking the call, War Eagle guys. War Eagle, good to War hear Eagle. from you. That's our pal Russell from Auburn joining us there on the phone line three three four eight eight seven thirty four zero one or toll free at one triple eight nine tiger nine. I want to follow up with that. I want to talk a little bit about this home field advantage that Truist Park has become. Because over the weekend, Mark DeRosa on the major, on MLB Network, of course, a former Brave player himself, a part of several of those 14 consecutive uh, National League Eastern Division titles, had some of Braves country a little bit upset talking about it was a little soft playing in Turner Field over the years and that you wouldn't have as much full support and that sort of thing and said, you know what, I think Braves country probably got used to winning the National League Eastern Division title over and over and over again, and they really wouldn't show out until we got into these big-time playoff series. And he said, let's give credit to what Truist Park has become over the last four or five years with the battery becoming what it is, and then also we're seeing these major 
regular season games being played, major wins at home last year in the postseason. And yeah, that's going to be huge for Atlanta now that you aren't a wild card team, now that you are a division winner, to play at home. It's as simple as that, getting to bat last in all of these big time games. That's a huge, that's huge for this club. Yeah, I tell you all the time, I, I love the home field just to bat last because when you can go through an extra inning or go through a late inning and know after this inning can't be losing, only can be winning or tied, there's some sort of relief when that happens, sure. whereas in if you in, in the top of the ninth inning you don't score in a tie game, you're like, well, we can only lose. <laughs> only lose or draw after this. Right. So I, I do feel less stressed at home. But to Mark's point, like I totally think it's a valid point. I mean, again, I'm not – you know, old enough to really have a great opinion on the early 2000s Braves and late 90s Braves when they've been going through it 8 to 10 to 12 years in a row at that point, and I'm only like 6 or 7 years old. But just think about how fan bases react to things, right? And put it into college football, put it into another sport. These fan bases that are used to winning, you don't get as excited for the big plays because you've all you've seen is big plays, or all you've seen is winning. You you no longer appreciate wins against non-ranked opponents or no longer appreciate rank, uh, wins against certain programs. Right. Because I'm talking college football here. But when you've been desperate for a winner, like I, like I would value right now, like Neyland Stadium is probably a lot tougher to play in right now than it was, I don't know, 15, 20 years oh, ago. Yeah. Because although the teams were so good back in early Phil Fulmer time, you're again you're starting to build that accustomedness to winning. But now, after being starved for a decade plus, the first sign rocking. of a good team, yeah, yeah, absolutely, they're all in it. And again, that's not saying they couldn't be tough before. It's still a hundred thousand people. But when you have that sense of desperation and, and that longing, I think it adds fuel to the fire. Whereas you have another team, you know, let's let's just say Alabama. Alabama's won so much the last 12 or 13 years. You can't tell me that fan base is as loud as they were when it first started back in 08 or 09, when they really started to win these big games under Saban and all of that, because at that time they had not won for a few years. They hadn't won in, in 8 to 10 years. And, and, and so they were a little starved, relatively speaking, to what they were used to. So when they first start getting big again in sure. 08, 09, that's a little bit different than now 13 years in where, they're, where Saban you know, has had some moments in these weaker uh, opponents where he's gotten mad at students and, and people for leaving and, and all this because, right. again, you expect to win now. So I don't care they're up 52 to 7. I have a party plan afterwards. Right. I ain't staying for the fourth quarter or you stop appreciating all the beatdowns cuz yeah. you're expected to do it. So all circling that all the way back, I think for the Braves when you win the division 14 straight times, that's excessive, man. That <laughs> I don't think that'll ever happen again. Right. And so that that just beats in your mind. Yeah, I don't care as much about the regular season. Maybe I'll start caring the postseason, and let's see if we can get another ring or that sort of thing. But the Braves have clearly, and, and their fans have valued these last five years because, again, you went through after the fourteen, you went through a decade or so where you were just made a couple wild cards and never yeah, really went anywhere, and, right? And, and straight out missed the playoffs several times, and so you got that appetite back to where there's an extra edge and excitement to the fan base. Are you putting Ian Anderson on the? Play playoff roster no 
random question there. <laughs> no. But he's on the 40-man right. I keep thinking about him. Right? Uh-huh. This is a guy that started World Series games. I could not stop thinking about him last night. Right. Because he's not in the dugout. I mean, he, he started World Series games. And for Atlanta last year, really struggled this season. And yeah. he was great, uh, undeniably great in the postseason. So was Will Smith last year. He's not on the team. Nope. He's not even the organization anymore. So sometimes you got to do what's best for the now. When you're talking about when you're in the postseason, I would you're not thinking about future. You're not thinking about past. <laughs> Awful. You're, JJ's like, I like you. You're I would be terrible. Uh-huh. As a I don't manager. care. Who you you, you'd want in on the roster. I just, my heart is too big for people. I, oh, yeah. you know, I just, can I carry seventy seven? <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> can I just put him like first row behind the dugout <laughs> family section? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, get a little like where's Jose Constanza at, man? I'm just thinking of Ian <laughs> Anderson a lot today uh-huh. for whatever reason. Look, he's good. I think you know the Strider thing will be important for the Braves, but yeah. please, but get him you back. still got you're gonna start Freed in every series. You're gonna start uh, Kyle Wright in every series. Every series you're gonna start Morton in every series. So as long as you have Strider, there's not a need for another. You don't even have to start Odorizzi at that point. If you want to have a conversation about Odorizzi, that would be one thing. But at the same time, he finally pitched his best baseball last night. When it was needed. And at least. exact after playing poorly. I don't think you just re uh, Ian Anderson was getting hit by the way at Triple A. I don't know if you kept up with that. He nope. he got pounded at Triple A too. Yeah. So I, I just I couldn't trust no. Ian Anderson again this year. I couldn't do it. Man. I know it was clutch last year. I get that. I I, like, I still remember Bryce clutch. Wilson having yeah, a big right. outing yeah. against yeah. the whole, Dodgers whole, one year. Whole bullpen was right. clutch. But you just you got to go with what's working this year. I just want year. Ian Anderson to know that I'm thinking of him today. <laughs> okay, I want, man. I want him to know that. We were having fun yesterday on the show. You mentioned Odorizzi starting last night for Atlanta. They won the game 2-1 to one over the Marlins. Their 101st victory of the season. Atlanta National League Eastern Division champions. Dansby Swanson just grounded out in his first at-bat, and the Braves removed him from the game. He started all 162, but he's done no risk of injury uh, for Dansby there. But talking about Odorizzi, we were having fun on yesterday's program uh, mentioning Mark Bowman puts a tweet out that Jake Odorizzi would get the ball for the Braves to start last night's game. And the most popular reply to Brian Snitker's announcement was, who's pitching the second inning? Which was just tough. Wow. <laughs> Goodness. Wow. Which was the, really The start tough. before, they did warm up, I think, Jackson Stevens in the first yeah. inning, I think, of the start before. And oh. then he ended up going like three and a third or three and two thirds. But, I mean, the Braves for the last week have been in playoff mode. They've not been playing around. Yeah. So, now, we were talking about Ian Anderson, and you just mentioned Jackson Stevens. He's he got the start. He's getting the start for the Braves today, right? As a bullpen day, yeah. As a bullpen day, but you know, I don't know. You know, you're talking about Ian Anderson, Jackson Stevens, this guy. Maybe not necessarily as a starter. I mean, he's obviously a bullpen guy, but I mean, they really like him, and, and they've been. They've he really was sure been, to yell "roll tight" into the microphone. And, last unfortunately, night. Yeah, he's from Oxford, Alabama. He was he had been committed to Alabama and went pro instead of going to Alabama. But I mean, he's an Alabama kid from Oxford. Was going to go to the University of Alabama. So he plays for the Braves. I'm a root. He's player. obviously right. a big Bama fan. Well, you see, the thing about Jackson Stevens is the Braves like him so much because he's like their eighth best reliever, and yet he would be the fourth best reliever for most teams. And also, right. he can pitch multiple innings. So he he's been the guy that's like, oh, it's we're down three going to the ninth. Let's put Jackson, and he'll probably hold it at three if he doesn't. Right. Who cares? That's the guy that you don't want to. Uh, you want to save the other guys for because you've got right. Mentor. You've got, obviously, what Russell Iglesias has done since the mm-hmm. trade deadline. He's been 
awesome for Great. the race. It's been lights out. Oh, yeah. Jansen's your closer, but then you've also got Matzik as another lefty. you got Jesse Chavez, who's been pitching very well for you again and is another guy that can go more than three outs. And then Colin McHugh has been tremendous, especially as of late. Of course, the whole bullpen's been tremendous. But that's what I just named. Six guys that you would put probably above Jackson Stevens, and then you get into Stevens. And uh, Dylan Lee is someone that they've liked a lot in the sixth and seventh inning for lefty-lefty matchups. Again, this Braves bullpen has been – Tremendous, and I I want to give it a lot of credit, regardless of what it does in the postseason, because you know the minute it does in a single thing wrong in They're the postseason, get torn up, <laughs> right? Everyone will be mad, but they have done wonders for the Braves this year. Mark DeRosa in that same sequence had a lot to say about Dylan Lee and what he's done for the club so far this season, uh, which has been which has been fun. Another guy can go more that. than three outs. That, that's what's been so unique about the Braves' bullpen is because they've got their studs Multiple at the back guys. end. Yeah. Right? They've got Iglesias, they got Jansen, they got Mentor, they got all these high-leverage guys that you need, but they've also got guys that you would not mind pitching like a seventh-inning role, like a Chavez or Dylan Lee, but they those guys can also give you more than three outs. Right. And so that could be very valuable in a game that you get behind early. Uh, in the postseason, you're down like three to one in the third and you need to pull your starter because they just don't have it well maybe between dylan lee and jesse chavez they get you into the seventh inning because they both go two innings and so or jackson stevens in there as well so the braves have a very balanced bullpen it's been awesome obviously but it's not just good because the last three or four guys out there it's good because the whole bullpen's useful and peter moreland clicked to click quick to recognize last night you mentioned twitter and folks getting upset as soon as something wrong happens give kenley jansen respect Please. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it got tough. But then all of a sudden, this man really turned it around the last two or three weeks and has 391 career saves in Major League Baseball, a future Hall of Famer, and still yeah. one of the absolute best when shutting down a ball game. Well, and that's the thing. He is still one of the best, if not the best, closer in Major League Baseball. I mean, the number. I, we said most this, saves in the league this right, year. Most saves in the league, and that's what I was going to say. We we kept saying this phrase a lot uh, when I was on the show Monday, but stats don't lie. Yep. I mean, it's there. Now, did he go through a little struggle there? Absolutely. Sure. He admitted it himself. Everybody does. But when it really mattered, when it ultimately mattered, he has been there and he has been clutch. And that's what you ought to ask for. So, you know, if you're going to struggle, then struggle somewhere in the middle when those – yeah, the games mean something, but they don't mean as much as like that three-game series against the Mets. They don't mean as much as trying to close one of these out to actually win the title. That's when he was clutch. And it just – it wasn't even a doubt. Like, he came in – yeah, it was a doubt, I think, for a lot of fans. You get queasy at your stomach. And, uh, like, Barrett Sally likes to post all the time when Kenson, when uh, Jensen comes in. He's like, it's Kenley Jensen time. And it's a little meme that says, hold on to your butts. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's like a, you kind of get a little a tightness down there in the nether regions when he comes in. But he's been handling it. It's been fine. And, uh He's yeah. got that pedigree because of so many sure. years with the Dodgers pitching deep in the postseason. I actually looked it up last year, uh, and I, I want to confirm this. I don't think he gave up a single run in the postseason last year with the Dodgers. Yeah. All the all the work the Braves did off of relief pitchers were like Blake Trinan and, and all these seventh and eighth inning guys that they hit really hard. But uh, Jansen last year. Gratterall, right? With- Bruce Star Gratterall, yeah. And and that's a guy that throws like 101. Yeah, he's tough. Um, and so Kenley, look, he's been what you needed. If you want to compare it, if you're talking about one-year flyers on these closers that are a little later in their career, compare them to Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell's in the other other great NL team. You know what he's doing now? He's not closing because he blew too many saves. He's had a bad year. I think he's taken five or six losses. 
And Craig Kimbrell's not their primary closer anymore. They're going to mix it up, uh, Dave Roberts said, the rest of the year. So Kimbrell might come in the seventh or eighth inning. So the reality is, like, if you were saying the last two options or the two options there were were Craig Kimbrell versus Kenley Jansen, and I can confirm that, that Jansen um, did not give up a run in seven innings last year in the postseason, uh, if your two options were Jansen and Kimbrell, Jansen's the correct answer here, uh, even despite the six or seven blown saves this year, that rough patch in August that he went through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he still has rebounded, and he's eighth all-time in saves. He's, he's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame for that. And so, uh, yeah, Kenley's been, been as advertised, and you got him for these big high-leverage series like the Mets series and for the postseason. Let's celebrate some birthdays. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. All right, Birthdays in Sports here today on October 5th, 2022. Birthdays in Sports brought to you by Max Credit Union. Allow our friends over at Max Credit Union to help you with your banking needs. Two convenient locations, one in Auburn on Gage Street, one in Opelika on Frederick Road. Here we go. Today, Travis Kelsey is turning 33 years old, a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, drafted by the Chiefs in the third round of the 2013 NFL Draft, with the 63rd overall pick. He is a one-time Super Bowl champion, seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, most 1,000-yard receiving seasons as a tight end, and most consecutive 1,000-yard seasons as a tight end with six in NFL history. Played five years of college football at Cincinnati, where he was first-team All-Big East in 2012. Travis Kelsey is 33 years old today. I try to have him on. I try to. He's one of those guys that I try to have on my fantasy team. You want him. I have to Good things happen when he's on your team. I got him on one of mine this year. We'll talk uh, fantasy football with Joe Bartle later in the program here today. Michael Pittman Jr. is turning 25 years old, an NFL wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts, drafted by the Colts in the second round of the 2020 draft with the 34th overall pick. Michael Pittman Jr. played in Los Angeles for the USC Trojans at Southern Cal, a two-time first-team All-Pac-12 member, second-team All-American, another good player for the Colts. Michael Pittman Jr., the wide receiver, now 25 years old. Happy birthday to Grant Hill, turning 50. Wow. Former NBA small forward and current Atlanta Hawks executive, played four years of college basketball at Duke. No love Crickets. for the mascot. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, it was either it was either silence or or hate. Yeah. What, what do you want? Silence. Right, or I'll hate. take the silence. <laughs> yeah. Yay, Tar Heels. Two-time NCAA champion in '91 and '92, ACC Player of the Year in '94. His number 33 jersey is retired by Duke basketball. Drafted third overall in the 1994 NBA draft by the Pistons, and also played with the Magic, Suns, and Clippers. Grant Hill is a seven-time All-Star, All-NBA first-team player, Olympic gold medal with Team USA in the 1996 Atlanta Summer Olympics. Grant Hill, 50 years old. Do you like him as a NCAA Final Four color commentator? Love that guy. Yeah. I love everything he does. Sam. Great chemistry with Raftery like, and Jim Nance. And, yeah. Part, do you like owner of the Hawks? Do you like him or Billis more? Billis. Billis. Yeah, Billis the man. Uh Duke everywhere. I was. Uh, that's why I was asking. Your two Duke. Your two Grand primary Hill, Duke commentators. If not for injuries, could have been so freaking good. How about Cody Zeller? He's turning thirty years old. The NBA center and power forward with the Utah Jazz. Poor guy. Uh, played two years of college basketball at Indiana. Big Ten Freshman of the Year in 2012. 
He was first team all Big Ten that same season. He has played and was drafted by the Charlotte Bobcats, Poor number guy. four overall in the 2013 NBA draft. Indeed. Uh, has played with the Bobcats, Slash Hornets, Trailblazers, and Jazz. He was an all-rookie second-team player in 2013. Cody Zeller turning 30. Uh, he's always been a little follically challenged up top. Poor guy. Always seems to be balding a little bit, but uh, shout-out to Cody Zeller. Mario Lemieux is turning 57 years old. The former NHL center for the Pittsburgh Penguins drafted first overall in the 1984 NHL draft and would remain there with the Penguins his entire career. Two-time Stanley Cup winner, nine-time All-Star, scored 690 goals, assisted 1,033 goals in 915 games, 43 hat tricks, including four five-goal games. Damn. Inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1997. One of the all-time greats, Mario Lemieux, is turning 57 years old. Where did he go to college? <laughs> I'm not sure. Do you I, know? I'm, I don't I'm, think he did go to college. I'm looking it up. You can keep going. I'll... He's our last birthday today, oh, so we're yeah. going to stall here. Uh, I want to shout that out. Four five-goal games. Like, anytime you walk off the ice and you're like, I scored five goals tonight, that's probably a good feeling. Yeah, the, the team <laughs> probably should, really feels great when the team scores five goals, yeah. well, one person. Man, birthdays in sports here today, October 5th, 2022. Travis Kelsey, Michael Pittman Jr., Grant Hill, Cody Zeller, and Mario Lemieux are all celebrating their birthdays here today. It's birthdays in sports brought to you by our good friends at Max Credit Union. Did uh, he go to school? Uh, I really don't think he did. He's from Montreal. Yeah. Early in his career, Lemieux smoked at one point, consuming a pack of cigarettes daily. He gave up the habit perhaps Sheesh. due to Hodgkin's disease that he got. So wow. That's like one of the first things on his personal life. There you but, go. Uh, yeah, I guess they don't go to school in Canada. Happy birthday to Mario Lemieux. I want to let you know about our spooktacular blood drive taking place next Monday, October 10th from noon until 6 p.m. in Tigertown. They're in Opelika. The Bloodmobile near McDonald's. Blood donors will get a spooktacular t-shirt and $20 e-gift card. Food and fun for all donors. It is the Blood Drive brought to you by Life South. Best Buy, Kate 99.9 FM and Tiger 95.9. All right, let's talk football. Let's talk about this Auburn football team, fellas. Do we have to? Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> we probably should. Uh, they're getting set for the Deep South's oldest rivalry coming up on Saturday. Tough loss this past weekend against LSU. We have heard all the numbers. This Auburn football team has given up touchdown drives in the final minute of every game this season. They are losing the middle eight very poorly, uh, which Bill Belichick has always dominated in his coaching career. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer had a really good story on those middle eight minutes uh, that Auburn football needs to play better in, and now they've got to find a way to go up against the number two team in the country and the reigning national champion, George Bulldogs, and the players are creating bulletin board material after Brandon Council meeting meted uh, with the media earlier today. Met. Met with the media. Uh, Words. Meted. <laughs> meted. That, sound, that sounds like if someone was eating meat together. We meated. We ate the meat. I don't know. You, you, Thank you for that grammar yeah, correction. They, that they was met. awful. They met with the media. Uh, so let me first give a thought on the Auburn LSU game. Please do. I wasn't here earlier this week. I know everyone wants this rehashed for the 82nd time. But, look, Auburn 
put themselves in so many positions to go and take that game. And they, if you just look, if you take game-changing plays away and just the 95% of the plays that happened in this game, Auburn played better than LSU. The problem was they made horrendous errors. When, when some teams make errors, it's like, okay, it's mis-execution of play leading to, you know, the lack of a third down conversion. Or you miss an assignment, so instead of giving up a four-yard run, it's a ten-yard run. But Auburn's mistakes against LSU caused them either to not score points or helped LSU score points. And you think of, in particular, the turnovers, the four turnovers. And it's been something that we – Saw in the first two games of the year, Auburn was committing a couple turnovers a game, and they were not forcing any. And so against LSU, they forced one, but they're still a minus three in the turnover battle. And those turnovers, I think, I want to say three of them happened in the fourth quarter. At least two of them did. Um, and, And so you're talking about the turnover that really changes momentum at the beginning of the game. I think it was 17 nothing at the time. And yes. I I told JJ in the press box I said Auburn's going to win this game. Auburn looks great. They're 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 do, they're great. And then it's a it's a turnover and it's a touchdown. 7 yep. points right there. Regardless of what you think Auburn would have done that drive, what they would have not done, it's 7 points or else you right there. Get them on the board. And then the three turnovers in the fourth quarter. You're talking about varying degrees of drives that Auburn was on. Uh, positions on the field that they were on. Obviously, Auburn misses a field goal. That's three points off the board. I, you could go crazy finding so many points that Auburn either yes. did not have because of their turnovers or assisted LSU having. And the reality is is that they're just making, on top of these, just poor coaching decisions. Timeout usage before halftime was ungodly. Uh, they would used another timeout in the second half, which hurt them in trying to get the ball back. Right. Uh, they, they just – too many poor things are happening on that front. So that, that's my two cents on the Auburn-LSU game. As far as the Brandon Council stuff, look, I you have to have the mentality that – of confidence, you have to have the aura that you are are going to perform. That this is not the cavernous duty that you think it is. That you can play with Georgia. You have to think like that. However, you cannot be bashful in the way that you say it, because while this is a rivalry and Georgia is really good, what what, what benefit does that give you to say that out loud in the media? It does not give you a benefit. But what benefit might it give the other team? In this case, Georgia. Crazy. It amount. might it might put that edge on them. Yeah. Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna exact bulletin board material. We're gonna put yep. this up, and we're gonna see this, and we're just gonna stare at it, and we're gonna pound this guy in particular. But we're gonna pound them. Oh, you don't think it's gonna be a big deal on third down? Oh, we're gonna make it a big deal when it's third down. We're gonna beat your butt up front when it's third down. So, again, I'm not mad at someone thinking a confident thought. You have to have confidence. If you if all of Auburn's players go into Athens Saturday saying, "Yeah, let's just try not to lose by forty. Let's just you know take it a lot," but right. then you can't that. you can't think like that. However, you also can't give them extra motivation on top of it already being a rivalry and everything like that. You got to keep the confidence, a quiet confidence amongst it, yourself. I, I like quiet confidence, and I I agree. You know, I don't care that he, I don't care that he thinks the way he thinks, but saying it. 
and especially coming from the offensive yeah, line, like, especially like how the, bad the offensive line has that, been. Exactly. Like of all of, yeah. of, all, of, of anybody, all the groups to talk, yeah. that's probably not the one no. that should be talking. You know, if, if at all, if, just o, if Owen focus pa- up and play sure. the game. If Owen Papo had said something bulletin board material, if, if somebody from the defensive line had said something that was bulletin board yeah. material, it's like. Okay, right. Yeah, you might need to just. I still don't prefer it, but right. at least I don't they could because they're performing live up to the right. Right. But for somebody on the offensive line, pronounce that they're going to destroy anybody. It's like, dude, y'all can't destroy Mercer. <laughs> How in the hell do you think you're going to destroy Georgia? But hey, well, Kent State, you know, held up for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. So uh, you know, good on him for thinking, you know, and being confident. I, I love the confidence, but yeah, it's got to be a quiet confidence. And you know, good heavens! Yeah, I, as soon as I see, as soon as I saw the thing pop up that Brandon Council said that I was like, oh man, really? Yeah, like, bet I, the I, over, <laughs> take the over. <laughs> yeah, that's like, let's go hear what Austin Troxel has to say. I bet you he's going to destroy like the whole offensive line. Is like, man, we're the best line in the country. I'm like, oof. He just thinks that he's Lord. I'm, I'm kind of looking at the entire court right now, and you know, let's he's hear from Brandon Council lacking. himself. Let's hear from him himself, okay. and then we'll be able to react to this. Here we go, Brandon Council earlier today. I believe just them being able to like their third down packages and you know they got some interior stunts that kind of hinders the run game but if we we're going to start off fast you start off fast and run the ball on them and keep them out of their third down packages really we could demolish them i believe personally up front there you go mm-hmm. brandy council there was some more that he yeah, said. Yeah, and so so more of it just re- referring to their defensive line, their lack of depth, basically saying he's saying because right now they don't have that much depth due to injuries in the interior D-line and the guys that do come out, I don't think they trust them. If we keep them out of third down where they can't bring packages and keep their main guys on the field, we're just going to run the ball on them all day because they're going to get tired. <sighs> yeah. I still, it doesn't still, make it a lot it better. It doesn't make it better, right? It does not make it better. That an article written by uh, Ellie Oldman from Auburn Live. Yeah, I, I mean, again, this I is applaud already, the, I applaud the confidence, but, but gosh, come you, on, man. again. And, and uh, as you guys point out, I mean, I thought the line did a better job. Not that that's saying much against LSU. I thought they allowed some more plays to happen. I did. I did see the first game, the game improvement. But what are you improving from? You're improving yeah, right. from one of the worst lines we've seen I mean, in, a, in a while. And, and, and the thing is, there was there was a little bit better push, but it was not a consistent push uh, from the offensive line. But then uh, some just critical, critical mistakes. And uh, I mean, I we went back, we were watching the film of the uh, strip sack uh, scoop and score touchdown. Yeah. And and I mean, that was a guy on the end who just got run around. I mean, just just ran slap around the dude. I mean, he he got a hand on him, but I mean, he just ran around him, and then chased Robbie Ashford down from behind and was able to strip sack. But and they had doubled up. There was great protection from everybody else. It looked like it was a great design because they had double teamed everybody, and even Tank came in on a single and he doubled up on a guy. All you had to do was hold that edge. That's all you had to do is hold the edge. And it was fine, and that that was the critical mistake. He didn't hold the edge, and he chased him down and got a strip sack, scoop, and score. And everything else was fine. Those are the things that the offensive line just can't do. You can't make the critical errors. I mean, you you know, you can be 
I, I think you can get away with some inconsistencies, but you can't have a just massive critical error like that, and especially on the end, and especially on your quarterback's blind side like that. that you just can't have a guy run around you, and you just barely even sure. touch Well, and college football is all about trying to find the most consistent play at all your units because you're talking about a group of kids you know, that are no – I mean, they're – they're inherently inconsistent. Well, are you are you more consistent as a human being in everything that you do at thirty two or twenty two? Are you more consistent as a human being when you get straight into college or when you're married and have a kid? You know, you know what I'm saying. So it translates in every way of your life. But then in football, why do you think you have so many upsets? Why do you think you have so many variances in play to where some of these teams will rise up and beat this top 15 team and not win another game in a year? Or you'll have a weird case where somebody will, will be that team that loses to a weird team, and then they go and run through a bunch of good teams. Like Again, you're trying to find – it's all these little battles of, for consistency, and all these teams can show a certain element, but can they continue – to obtain that standard of play. And so, you know, Auburn has shown a very low ceiling in terms of some of its level of play, especially with offensive line. But they've got to at least be consistent in reaching that level because, again, you're just trying to find the most consistency to whatever level you can obtain and, and as high as you can obtain it. And so if Auburn can put together more line play that's more like LSU – Okay, that gives yeah, them chances. Got something. But if they play offensive line like they did against Penn State and, and like they did against Missouri, then they will have no chance to do anything, especially when you go into Athens on Saturday. Auburn and Georgia in Athens on Saturday, 2.30 Central Time kickoff, 11.30 airtime on the Auburn Sports Network and FM Talk 93.9. We made it through the first hour of the show today. We've got to take a break. Hours 2 and 3. Coming right up. Alongside Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry, I'm JJ Jackson. One hour in the books, and we're rolling. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starts right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry. Coming up this hour, we hope to let you know about our newest Sports Call Player of the Week. We've got to talk about our hump day update. Joe Bartle from Rotowire stops by. 
and a whole lot more, including your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line. 334-887-3401. We are going to be busy, busy, busy moving forward throughout the rest of today's show. Speaking of phone calls, let's go there now. Again, 334-887-3401. Anything that you've got on your mind in the wide world of sports, we want to talk with you. So as we go there now, we're thrilled to welcome into the program here today... Terry from Auburn. Terry has called into Sports Call. Hey there, Terry. Guys, how y'all doing today? Quite well. Thank you for asking. Fantastic. Um, I heard the baseball. I don't usually talk about baseball much, but is anybody aware the Astros have won 105 games? Yeah, Yeah, Astros are pretty darn good. Yeah. Now I know. I know. We grew up here in Braves country, but I grew up an Astros fan. Regardless of you know their indiscretions in in the past, but that's the team I grew up watching and, and, and following. So. But they won 105 games. There was contracting on Aaron Judge is 62. You know, and I'm like, well, okay. You know, if you, and remember, remember back in the early 2000s, guys, when the Mariners won like 112 games in the regular season but didn't win the World Series. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a sour taste in your mouth. I'm done it. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the Astros were really good last year, and the Braves took care of them in the World Series. So well, a- honestly, the Astros have Astros have been good for quite a few years now. Well, that's the thing, Tom Strange. They keep losing big time free agents, and they keep winning. Yeah. So I, I, that doesn't make any sense. But um, does anybody find it strange? I know I do. That, that we're talking about a, a, a future a new coach at Auburn in the near future, and there's not even an opening yet? I, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is weird. Everybody's talking about coaching hot boards and things like that when they haven't even got rid of him. But I think most people understand that it's most likely a, not right. a, not a right. if but when. And right. it could be after this Georgia game if things go the way folks expect it to. Uh, how do you guys feel about Hugh Freeze? Uh, because I think he's not only the, the the right candidate, I think he's the best candidate. And and he's 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 got a track record like Bruce Pearl, who had some baggage when Auburn hired him. I understand that. And I don't. I don't. I, look, guys, I don't know where you stand on this, but I think if God can forgive him, we can too. That's the way I. That's the way I say it. Oh, so, so well. So my thing is this: I I am not. I'm not. A, I'm not on board with Hugh Freeze hire, but it's not because of his past. Because I agree. I mean, people can. People make mistakes, and you have to eventually give them a chance to, to you know, redeem themselves from that. And I think with what he's done at Liberty, I think he has done that. However, I am not a fan of him because I feel like that we would be doing a rehash of Gus Malzahn all over again. Uh, and I don't think Hugh Freeze is going to draw nearly the type of excitement that some other names would. I'm not sure that he is going to draw that type of excitement on the recruiting trail. He did great recruiting when he was at Ole Miss, but it was also because of a lot of things that got him in trouble. So I'm, I am not convinced that Hugh Freeze is the guy that can get this thing turned around, and, and it's going to have to be somebody that can get it turned around pretty much immediately, and I just don't think he's the guy that is going to be able to do that. So I think a guy deserves a second chance, and a second chance he might be a lot different than the first time around. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're keeping the name Jeff Grimes. If I'm thinking Jeff Grimes, why don't you hire Kendall Bryles? You know, the, the game right. is played on offense now, and that's, that's what he is. Why not go Russell brought Lashley? that name up last yeah. week. I think Kendall Browse will be a fun one. I do, too. I think he'd be a great hire. I think he's got head coaching in his blood. He's, he's, he's just a matter of time. I think he will, will be a head coach eventually, but it'll be a lower-tier school, J.J. Yeah, and, and and see, right? and I, I think that as well. I think Kendall Bryles, uh like I said, if, if you make this move off of Harson and you, after just two years, you have to have some – you have to make – an absolute home run hire uh, if you're going to do this. And it's got to be somebody that can get things fixed from day one. And there's very limited names that I think could do that. I don't think Kendall Bryles can do that. 
I don't think Jeff Grimes can do that. Jeff Grimes, I think, would be a great head coach to bring in if you need to kind of keep things going, but not a guy that can come in and just change the culture from day one. In other words, he can establish it but not build it. Exactly. And so – uh, and and I think really kind of the same thing with Hugh Freeze. I, I think Hugh Freeze might be a guy that you can bring in if you're not in just dire straits and you have to have immediate something. I See, don't think I'm these a, guys. The reason I'm a Hugh Freeze guy, Tom, is because I was critical of Gus Malzahn. I was very critical of him. Sure. But at the same time, what did Gus Malzahn do to make to make he made Dick Saban uncomfortable? And Hugh Freeze would do the same kind of thing. He, he already proven he can beat him. Yeah, I. The thing is, I, I don't think Gus Malzahn made Nick Saban uncomfortable at all. I yeah, Auburn got some wins over Nick Saban, but I don't think they. I don't think he was uncomfortable at all. I mean, he. Nick, no, I do. I say I no, don't. I absolutely. Do. I think overall, yeah. I don't think I don't think he made Nick Saban uncomfortable. And then, well, Tom, he compared to everyone else, well, yeah. absolutely. Maybe, maybe compared to there's everybody. no debating that. They, maybe no one had more success against him other than sure. essentially Dabo Sweeney than Gus Malzahn. Ryan is going to go to bat for Gus Malzahn uh, every. What? Well, how is this wrong? No, you're how not is this wrong. wrong. No, no. Gus Malzahn forced Nick Saban to change his way of coaching. He went from recruiting a bunch of big defensive linemen to a bunch of small guys who could run. Yeah, I mean there there were definitely some things there. Uh, I I what I look at is in in the recruiting battles and everything like that. I don't think that he, I don't think Nick Saban was concerned with Gus Malzahn because all you had to do is look at the way that they were recruiting against Auburn. Well, then he wasn't and, concerned with anyone. And and look at the way they were using negative recruiting against Gus that was actually working out pretty well. Well, I follow what you say there because when you're putting eighty guys in the NFL. That doesn't hurt either, and that's what kids want to hear when they when you go to these sitting on these living rooms with these kids out there. So sure. that, that's that's the point I try to make. I just think that Hugh Freeze would be he's already got he checks all the boxes, guys. He's got experience in the conference. I don't think Auburn can afford to go out and get somebody who hadn't coached in this conference and been successful a little bit. Because that's what Ryan Harson was. He went out he went out to Boise and got of course that was Alan Green's hire. I really believe right. that. Yeah, I mean that was Alan Green's hire. It's not the guy that I think the of course you know, if you believe everything you read, Kevin Steele was the guy that that powers that be wanted, and so it almost seemed like it was either Kevin Steele or whoever Alan Green picked, and he went after Brian Harson. Well, uh, I remember when the when the best was just the first guy to say yes, right? And you know, if Auburn decides to make a move, they they got to do better than that. And, right. and like I said, I, I'm just not convinced that Hugh Freeze is the guy that can come in here and change the culture of the program from day one. I don't know if he could change the culture, but he could, he could sure make an influence. And Auburn's got enough talent on that roster to make a difference next year. This team could go from being a bad team to a nine win team. Yeah. There's enough talent there now. Now you don't have Landon King for the year. There goes your big receiver threat. Your end zone ma- not matchup nightmare. Yeah, uh, he's elected to redshirt, and yeah. now the big question is: Are other players going to start following suit? Hopefully not. That's yeah. golly. You hope not, but I mean, it, there's always that possibility. Well, last thing, guys, we kept hearing about all the guys that came back to play for Brian Harsin's year, but nobody wants to talk about the guys that left. And so, I, I, I said about Brian Harsin, he. He, he let one of the best receivers on the team, the best receiver on the team, go, but he tried to tell us on how good T.J. Finley was. Yeah. I'd love to still see Kobe Hudson on this football team. He's not getting much opportunity at UCF right now and uh, made a lot of plays for the Tigers a year ago. So, uh, like I said, you might as well try crossing the Pacific Ocean on a rowboat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right, we appreciate it. That's our good pal Terry from Auburn, formerly from Talladega. Joining us there on the program, 887-3401, toll-free, one triple eight nine tiger 9 
If you would like to be a part of uh, today's show, talked about it yesterday with Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports and uh, pretty much confirming that, uh, yeah, we're, we're likely seeing a coaching change coming for this Auburn football program at some point because I don't think anybody thinks uh, this season is going to turn around and uh, that coaching change could take place as quickly as the bye week coming up for this Auburn team. So coaching search once again. Here we go. Here we go. And uh, look, whatever coach comes in, you got to be aware of the fact you're competing against Alabama and Nick Saban and against Georgia and Kirby Smart every single year. And, and and like I mentioned, you're coming into a job that the fans and the fans, the alumni, the the boosters, all the people are going. To, they're going to need to see some sort of immediate impact. And that, that, you know, that could be – that's not necessarily got to be in the wins and losses because you're talking about a whole year, but you're talking about that span before you coach your first game. There's got to be – you got to see an, an, immediate, an immediate impact. That's something that you didn't see with Brian Harson, And I get it. When he came in, he was in a bad situation, but there's things that he could have done better to kind of give people hope for the future, and he didn't. I mean, even it was a bad situation, he didn't do anything it felt like to make it better. Uh, you know, you completely swing and miss in the transfer portal as far as getting big names in here. Obviously, the recruiting class was already not in good shape, and, and that didn't help. And now this recruiting class is not really in good shape. Uh, it's just something has got to be done uh, with whoever takes over with some immediate impact things, whether it be transfer portal, whether it be recruiting, some immediate impact and some positivity before you ever even coach that first game. So I reject the notion it was a bad situation. Uh, it's a different situation because it's a different um, kind of culture. It's a different philosophy. But um, I still wholeheartedly believe that team coming into last year uh, was talented enough to win nine or ten games and with Gus Malzahn would have won nine or ten games because that's what they did on odd years. It's what he did with that type of personnel. Um, so you're looking at a complete – changing of what you're trying to do and operate um and again i think the the thing is it started at such a low point last year because when you're starting with harson's initial um initial season that's the point you're comparing it to to see if year two is an improvement or not and so year one is already well below the former coach's standard well below it and then year two you're already looking at a situation where it looks like it's even getting worse from year one. And a part of that is the player transfers. Part right. of that um, is a lack of development on the offensive line. And it's a lot of things. And it's game management. There's really not anything you can one point to. Right. Yeah. You can point to that it's improving in the last two years. Um, certainly not recruiting-wise, not relationship-wise, um, staff continuity. I mean, there's, you, you can go down the line and you can't find one improvement in these last few years, that's why that's why it's been so inconsistent. That's, well, I, but I but I guess what I'm saying that's why the narrative is so resigned to already doing coaching searches yeah. in our talk circles because you, you you can't have that sort of regression from something you already fired, whether you support him or not. You fired something that was already proven to be better than what Harson right. brought in, and then you're still declining from year one. Of, of the new coach so obviously you're you're going to start we're going to start having these conversations and yes we love having these conversations because they're great generations of talk 
you know, are great generators of talk, excuse me, because they bring in all these ideas. Everyone has their, their guy they like. Everyone has their guy they don't like and that sort of thing. But the reality is we're talking about this because in two years, Auburn has gotten to a much worse place, just in a year and a half, than it was in, in 2020. And in 2020, it was in an okay place. It wasn't great. It was just had no direction because 2019, you had the nine-win season. You had all these – you had the epic Alabama win. You had uh, a, high, a pretty highly ranked team at times then 2020 you have the pandemic and you have you know just a, a five win team in a, in a full or six win team in a full conference slate but you know you have a place that people were still uncomfortable with and then you automatically in year one you bring that place even further down and then in year two you have no proof that it's improving at all in, ca- in fact you can make the case it's going even further down because of recruiting and that sort of thing and that, and that was the big fear you know when Malzahn when the talk about firing Malzahn was all out there is that yes while things had become very stagnant on offense the defense was still good it was a team it was a coach and teams that were still winning games for most people it was mediocre they were not winning championships on a consistent level but they were not in the situation we're at now and that was the big concern was if you make this move you need to be careful that you don't bring somebody in like you were talking about somebody that is actually worse than oh, what it, you already it has have to be it has to be a hit next. and and what they did is they hired somebody that ultimately is now it looks like worse than what you got rid of you didn't make the improvement there that you hoped that's a chance that you take when you replace coaches uh you have to be able to hit out of the park and that's why i'm saying if if they make a move with brian harson they have to have a sure shot uh, you know, there's no sure shot about Brian Harson when they hired him. Uh, unfortunately, it felt like that they were just kind of in a no sure shot situation with that hire. There was not a guy out there that felt like that turned Auburn down or anything that you could say was just absolute 100% can't miss, dude. They're going to have to – they can't miss on this one. If you're going to do it again, you cannot miss on this next hire. It has to be somebody – that shows some immediate something to either change the culture, change the mindset of the fans and the alumni, change the mindset of the kids that are looking at this program possibly wanting to come here and play. That's got to change. It's got to change the mindset of the kids that are currently on the team and what they feel like their future is because a lot of them may not want to even come back to Auburn next year and keep going through this. So whoever it is is going to have to be a can't miss and got to make that immediate boost of adrenaline to the entire program got a couple of phone calls to get to here 334-887-3401 anthony from auburn anthony has called into sports call hi anthony hey guys how you guys doing quite well how are you today sir i'm good you know i I told you guys a couple years ago that he wasn't the right man for the job and y'all was talking about oh he won the what what kind of conference he was in at the time the the whack or what what was he in at that time mountain west West, yeah Oh, he won the Mountain West a few times. Oh, he been bowling. Oh, he did this. Oh, I tried to tell you the man went no fit, but now we, but now you finally know. Well, well hold but, on. Um, can I can I correct something though? What you want to correct, man? That, so, so, I don't think that at least in our circle here, and most people, I don't think anybody was just super high on Brian Harson going. Yes, this is the guy. This is the guy. What we were saying is. Hey, listen, he's the coach. Let's give him a chance. Let's see what he's got. Because I mean, he we was can't, before he was a proven you know, winner. Sure, he was a proven winner. It's like, let's see what he's got. It's obviously not the guy that anybody had hoped would be the next head coach, but he is now announced. Let's see what he's got. If he turns out good, great. But 
I don't think there was anybody that was just climbing the highest mountain and screaming, oh, my gosh, we got Brian Harson, We're going to win the national title. You, you didn't hear that from Auburn fans. Well, no, y'all been saying about the national title, but you just kept on hollering he's a proven winner. But I told you he was a proven winner in Little Boy Mountain West football. And now everybody found it out. But look at him. Uh, as far as Auburn recruiting, Auburn recruiting been in the toilet for years. I try to tell y'all every time I call in, everybody won't tell me I'm crazy and this and that. I told you, when you got a, a Reuben Foster, uh, that LaMichael Fanning kid, and that other Evans kid, all at Auburn High School, all at Auburn High School, just right across the railroad track. They go to Alabama and get rings on their fingers. They get all kind of rings, champ- national championship rings, conference rings, Western Division rings, bowl game rings, watches, and PlayStation and everything else. And then you got that talent down there in Phoenix City. It goes to Clemson to get rings on his finger. And then you got a kid that messed around and slipped out of here. Wanted to, he would have loved to go to Auburn. He gave his left arm, his foot, and his toe to kick field goals and kick off. Go down to LSU and get him a national championship ring on his finger and all the gold and silver that you could possibly want. And then you had another kid, I think, slipped out of here and went somewhere else and got some gold somewhere. But uh, that's the problem. Uh, it's been a major recruiting problem here in this area for years, and it ain't just started with Brian Harson. Malzahn can get anything, and, and uh, people are starting to wake up and see, well, well, you know, all the cream of the crop out of Auburn High School, or uh, even in this recruiting area, is going other places, helping these people win championship gold. And you got to play against these people in a Southeastern Conference showdown on Saturday. And, uh, hey, I mean, people are tired of, of – uh, being mediocre, but I tell you what, uh, this administration and all the powers that be ain't been behind this man from the start. It's just been a mess. They should have went ahead last year instead of coming up trying to cook up some kind of scheme to get him out of here. Just pay the man and let him go on and uh, take the time, the process of finding the whoever you think might be the man to turn things around, take you back to Hallelujah Land if that's where you want to go. But it's going to cost some money, and you got to have a coach that got a reputation of doing something like that, whether it be on the college level, winning championships, or in an NFL, and got that big old fat Super Bowl ring on his finger, or whatever it be. That's just what you better to go after. Somebody that can probably uh, have a better shot at dealing with the uh, uh, boosters and the top level administration people that can handle that kind of pressure. They know how to get along and go along with people and communicate with them and uh, keep everything level and run a program that uh, the people at Auburn can be proud of. But until that happens, uh, you know, people are just going to have a, a team that might go bowling and it might not. But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, this man going to get embarrassed probably Saturday night. And at that time, the boosters need to go ahead and cut the check and, and let him ease on out of town. There's no reason to keep on going with this because you ain't doing it but hurting recruiting. Recruiting is already practically dead. But I want to say this about recruiting. Uh, before the last athletic director got out of town, I don't know if it was a couple of days or a week before. I, I, I remember him saying on, uh, I think I read it somewhere, that he was uh, talking to the powers to be about uh, we need to get the NIL money going. Uh, we don't have enough money here. We need to get a budget where we can go after some of these uh, top recruits. Now that money is in the play like it is now with you know, everything that made legal, like where you can pay people open uh, as long as you go by the rules with it. You're gonna be you're gonna be in the, behind the eight ball if the money is not there. You're gonna have to get with Jimmy Rain. He's got that Yellowwood company and all his buddies that are boosters running some kind of business that they're running and making money. They need to go ahead and say, hey, uh, you know, whether it be Apple or computer or whoever that guy at Apple, uh, Tim Cook is a, is a booster. I, I'm, well, I don't know if he's a booster, but he's an alumni. Correct. But anyway, somebody need to contact him and say, hey, uh, you know, can we get some guys signed to some kind of deal or make a few commercials? I mean, push some iPhones or whatever kind of phones or, or gadgets or gizmos that you're selling. Well, we can go after some of this top talent and get it here. 
uh, get it developed and get back to winning ways. That's what it's going to take. I mean, if you got an Auburn alum that's at Coca-Cola or some Fortune 500 company that's in a position to make some things happen, you better start calling these people and uh, get things rolling where they can start making some commercials with some of these players uh, that, that they think will uh, – you know, be the one to be the bell cow to get you back on track and get the talent in here. That's what it's going to take. Because everybody now is buying players, as you can see. Uh, player went down to Deion Sanders, uh, to my understanding, Barbersaw put up a million dollars. That's what they reported. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but that's put up a million dollars. And Deion is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it, it does endorse Barbersaw products. So, I mean, that's what you're going to have to do, man. I mean, this, this nonsense here now, come out with. I hope we can get some out of the portal where everybody else want to get some out of the portal, too. And you look at, as far as speaking about the portal, look at the uh, Georgia Tech guy that he was already an all-conference player over there in the ACC, All-American and that, but he realized that he was not going to win a national title staying there at Georgia Tech. He realized that he probably wouldn't get the Dope Walker Award staying at Georgia Tech. So he eased on down here to Tuscaloosa, had 200-some yards, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this past weekend, was voted a player of the week or this or that, on watch list for this or that. Now he's in a position, all he got to do is perform, ride that gravy train, and ease on NFL's number one pick. And I tell you, when you start talking about number one picks, I feel sorry for Tank Biggs because, see, he was sweet-talked, romance, seduced in the stands, if you will, in a good kind of way. I'm not talking about anything uh, uh, wicked, but I'm talking about in a, in a, in a good kind of way uh, to stay here and continue to go through this nonsense. Now, he didn't hurt himself. He won't be a first-round or second-round pick. And he didn't put himself probably in a third or fourth round draft status, which ain't going to bring the kind of money that this guy should have been able to get. And I hate that for him because, he, you know, this guy could be Heisman winner, but that ain't going to happen this year. But uh, what are you guys' thoughts on, on this thing now? Tell me something. All right, well, so, so I want to I wanna correct at least two things. So, okay. Or maybe not correct, but at least kind of – Put your consent in. All right, so, all right, so first of all, talking about local recruiting – uh, right now on the commit list, Auburn has an offensive lineman, Braden Joyner, from Auburn High School. They have a defensive back from Lochapoca. So they, they are getting some local guys. The local guys that they missed out on were for various different reasons that they missed out on the guys. They tried to get them. It wasn't like they didn't recruit them. They recruited them heavily, but they chose to go different areas. But Auburn currently has a, a commitment from an, an Auburn High offensive lineman. There's several other guys from Auburn High that are very big on the list for Auburn, and you got the kid from Lochapoca. So there's that. Second of all, as far as uh, you're talking about NIL and stuff like that, it was it was a story that came out September the 27th. Auburn football uh, NIL are double the national average. So that means the money is there. They are giving plenty of money in that NIL and the opportunities to these players. It's double the national average. So the money is there. The NIL deals are there. That's not an issue. Seven thousand four hundred dollars for Auburn football well, players per month, and the national average is three thousand four hundred. Right. That's more than the average American receives right. a month. Why would the athletic director come out and say that the money wasn't right then? Because they're still trying to be more competitive. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, they're double to the be national double the national average, you're still in a good spot. Okay. Well, okay. If he want to be more competitive, more money got to be spent there. But look at him. Uh, as far as that kid from Lochapoco, you're talking about a 1A kid. We don't really know. I mean, you never know because he don't have – he's not playing against the comp- type competition that these 6A and 7A guys are facing some of these bigger schools. So but he's got offers from SEC schools. He, he must be good. He's got offers from almost everybody. Well, he, he, got a, he got an offer, but that don't necessarily mean that he, you know, 
he might be. I'd rather have an offer than yeah. not. Hey, he listen. Hey. That, that, that kid over there at Lojapoka is is a hell of an athlete, and and if Auburn was not on him, then we'd be screaming, yelling about why is Auburn not after him? Kind of like the running back at Beauregard a couple of years ago. Why is Auburn not getting that kid? Well, that guy was Mr. Football come out of Beauregard. I will say that. But look at him. But that um, wasn't six or seven A football. Yeah. But that's all right. But he's Mr. Football. All right, and, so uh, let's had, give J.C. Hart a chance to be somebody. No. Well, look at him. Like I said, being in a 1A school, you just don't never know about a player that that uh, classification. Well, you don't, right. really you don't know of any player coming out of high well, school, that, if that, how they relate. Because, I mean, I've but, seen – there have been guys come from the biggest high schools that just completely flame out. I mean, you look, go back and look at Byron Cowart that came here, came from one of the biggest high schools in, in uh, wherever it was, South Carolina, I think, or wherever he – or Florida. He was down in Florida. Number one player in the country, can't miss guy, and he got here and just got his butt beat in practice what, what, to the point that he was in tears and the dang walk-ons were trying to take him on. So what, there's what, some guys from the biggest high schools that don't develop, and then there's guys from the tiniest high schools that end up being some of the best players you've ever seen. Well, you know, sometimes that happens like that, like you're saying, but what I'm saying, this guy at Poker is not facing the kind of talent that, let's say, an Auburn high school player with – this week he's playing Central. Central got a big top dog on that offensive line that a defensive tackle is facing. Next week he's playing Opelika. They got a big offensive lineman he's facing. Next week at Prattville, the same thing, week in and week out. That's what I'm trying to tell you. This well, guy's not doing that on a weekly basis. Yeah, he, okay, but, a, yeah but, here, the but here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. The coach, palm, yeah, the, huh? but listen, the coaches, the coaches are not judging him and his talents off of just what he's doing at Lochapoca. you got to remember, this kid has been going to camp after camp after camp. Combine after combine, seven on seven seven on sevens. This dude has gone up against some of the best talent out there. That's why SEC teams are offering him right now. It's not because he does great at Lochapoca. But also, fixing Auburn football is way bigger than just one player from Lochapoca. So we put too much energy on this, Anthony. I got some other callers to get to. You got any final thoughts? One more minute. You're going to need a player like Pat Dye when he come in here in the 81 or whatever and after the season messed around and got Bo Jackson in the 82 sign class. You're going to need a player like that, the biggest piece to put in the puzzle, and then some good soldiers like he pulled in here and turned things around. That's what you're going to have to have. Now. Alabama signed so players from Lynette High School and Pike Road this year. Well, ain't you worried about Alabama. Alabama's on the cream. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. I mean, you can't compare Alabama and Auburn, not today, tomorrow, no other time. Right, so, Lynette's a pretty small school. So our, our next coach is going to come in and immediate flip Arch Manning from Texas. Arch Manning, <laughs> next quarterback at Auburn. Keep on, keep on believing that. that Anthony, have a great night, okay, buddy? Hey, y'all have a good one, too, and stop crying. All right, now. That's our pal uh, Anthony from Auburn joining us on the program. 334-887-3401 or toll-free at one 9 Actually, I, I – Deion Sanders is going to be the next head coach, and Shadur Jackson is going to come to Auburn. There you go. go. How in the world are we going to follow up that Anthony call? How are we going to do it? Let's stick with the phone lines. Up next, we've got... Daryl from Auburn. Daryl has called into Sports Call. Hey there, Daryl. Hey. um, I'm not going to jump into the last caller's comments, but uh, I just don't think... It's just like anything else. You can't judge an athlete and what kind of... division school he is you know you gotta judge the athlete for his abilities it's uh, a high school kid he can't change where he lives right. and again and like i said <laughs> well and like i said with anthony they, these guys are not just playing with their high school team there's camps combines sevens on sevens they go up against big time competition and especially if you are at a school like lochapoca 
and you want to be seen and put tape out there, that's what you have to do because, yeah, the competition is not as great. But that's not all he's doing. I mean, he, he has gone to many camps and has shown out and shown that he can be one of the top players in the country. Oh, no, you know. You know, if you want to judge that, judge Forrest Gump when he uh, ran across the football field. But anyway, that's as far as I'll go with that. <laughs> but my question is, and I'm just trying to get this money thing going on with Lane Kiffin. Uh, maybe you got stats. You don't have to quote them to me right now. Is uh, What kind of contract has he got at the school right now? Oh goodness! Um, I'd have to you don't actually have to answer the... that question if you want to do research and comment on it later. But what I know is how many years he's got left on this. Uh, he signed a four-year deal worth sixteen point two million dollars. Uh, that I mean, that was the original contract. Four-year deal, sixteen point two million. So four million, four million a year, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, and what? Does and that was also in, that was also in 2019 when he first went there. So uh, I don't know if there's been any other negotiations with that, but that was his original contract. Okay, and do you have any idea about his buyout clause? Oh, let's see. Um, I'm not seeing buy. There, there's the clauses for different things in his contract, uh, as far as like national titles and bonuses and things like that. But I'm not. But seeing basically, buy. he's at the end of his tenure at Ole Miss contractually. Yes. Correct. That's correct. So he'd be a good prime candidate for a head coach. Uh, I mean, if they can attract him, if they can attract him, but I, you know, I'm sure Ole Miss is probably going to do everything they can to try to. I, I'm pretty confident Lane got an extension. I'm working I'm, to find uh, it. But. Yeah, seeing that because that was the original. And to see 2021 contract details, potential bonuses revealed. That was in 2021. So I think he has so, yeah, done an extension. He's he signed through 2025. Gotcha. Uh, according to this article, I am unclear if he got a raise or not from that 4.1. No, here it is. Uh, new contract starting a salary of 7.25 million, including a $100,000 increase with each year topping out 7.55 million in 2025. Uh, there's incentives. I'm looking for a buyout. I do not see a buyout, but yeah, seven seven point five now, seven point two five. And I know with Mississippi contracts, they talk about this with Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin, whoever's there. State employees in that state can't have deals longer than four years, so you'll see them have to renew those deals pretty frequently, so that you've got the four year timetable still there. Okay, so he's a he's just beginning a, a contract extension then. That's uh, right. At seven million, and but we still want to... Auburn to go after him. That'd be awesome. No, 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 no. I, I just, uh, I, I don't. I'm not real big at stats. I don't have, you know, you know how I am. I'm, I'm relying on you guys for radio and then NPR for news. But uh, I'm just trying to get my grasp on it. I like him as a potential head coach, but I'm not sure at this point if we can get anybody of his caliber here. Uh, yeah. And we, Which is a shame. We, we that dog to death. Yeah, you know? we deserve to have a good coach. We do, you know, and uh, and I'm with uh, your comments about Brian Harson's first year. You know, it's like, well, I think he was offered a buyout uh, or deuce buyout, but you know, just give the guy another year, you know, and uh, and that's what happened. And obviously, he hasn't uh, uh, 
done what he could to keep his job or have he's regressed to you know it's kind of a sad situation but anyway i was just curious about lane kiffin and then uh just because a guy work uh plays not a solo uh Lochapoca or Beauregard, that's no reason to dismiss his athletic abilities or his desire to compete. Amen then, to that. No, no, no. You got these guys, like you said, you know, 5A, 6A schools, just because uh, they compete well there, don't mean they're being excessive at uh, the SEC level. You know, you never can know. So, but there we go. All I got to say. All righty. Good to hear from you, Daryl. Okay, well, and I'm hoping we win against Georgia, but by the in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, maybe we'll lose and get another head coach in a week and not have to go through all this talk about coaching changes. And we, ha, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we play Ole Miss next week. <laughs> but anyway, well, you guys have a great day. We'll talk to you. All right. That's uh, Daryl from Auburn. Joining us there on the phone lines, 334-887-3401. Uh, we're going to push Joe Bartle back just a little bit. We'll get one more phone call in here. And joining us on the program, we've got Keith from Auburn. Keith has joined us here today. Hi, Keith. Hey, guys. How we doing? Doing great. Hey, I got a 10-year wedding anniversary today, so I am smiling from here to there here. You go. Congratulations. Congratulations. Nice. Can't wait to get home and spend a little time with my wife and Looking forward to that, but I was listening uh, on my way home from Troy, and uh, the Webb kid from Beauregard. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I do want to add this. He won Mister Football as a junior, and he is the only junior in the state of Alabama to ever win Mister Football. Right. No other juniors won it, uh, and then his senior year, of course, he got hurt. But anyway. Uh, I wanted to talk. Uh, I'm glad you're on, Tom, because I think you, you misunderstood what I was trying to say, I think, last week with Lane Kiffin. And, and I've been thinking about this, uh, you know, coaches that uh, – when would you guys say Auburn hired a head football coach that was a big splash? Uh, I I wouldn't say I they wouldn't have. I wouldn't say ever. Yeah. Oh. Because Pat Dye turned out good, but, I mean, Pat Dye was a Georgia grad that had been at Wyoming. He did great. Tuberville had had some moderate success at Ole Miss. Terry Bowden was an unknown before they hired him. Um, and then, yeah, then Chiswick was – Chiswick, they were screaming and yelling profanities at Chiswick at the airport and, and Jay Jacobs. And then it felt like Gus was, you know, could have be the guy. Everybody – out of out of all of them, Gus was the guy that I think I seen like everybody was the most excited about. Yeah, and so really, truly, I think you guys would agree with me. I don't think they really ever had hired a big splash. No, and I, I agree what you're saying, Tom, with with Gus Gus Malzahn. Uh, Jay Jacobs, the one that put the curse on Dean Chiswick before he hired him, because he said money was no option right. for their next head football coach, and then they hire a guy from Iowa State for losing record. But anyway, here's what I want to get at real quick. Auburn don't have to make – they have to make not only the right hire, but a splash hire. And here's what I mean by that. If you look at all the coaches out there that are, that are available, uh, all right, that, that's coaching, that's got teams in the top ten real quick. But like, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to throw Dabo Sweeney out there for a minute. That'd be a splash hire. Is Auburn going to go after him or 
Probably not. But when you look at a splash hire, and what, and so I'm going to agree with you what you said last week after I thought about this for a week. Uh, when you talk about a splash hire, now I, I'm a Lane Kiffin fan, and, and, and in my eyes, Lane is the only coach, maybe with exception of primetime, okay? Don't get too excited, Tom. But uh, <laughs> that, could, that could come into Auburn, so you're going to have to pay him. You're going to have to pay him probably $10 million a year coach at Auburn, right. but he can work that transfer portal, and he can work the NIL deals uh, and get players in to Auburn immediately. Right. So they can be competitive. Um, and, and I think I, I'm not a big fan of primetime just because I don't think he has enough head coaching experience yet, uh, but he would be a splash hire. Uh, yeah. I'd be interested to see who would be on his staff. Uh, but I, I truly think the guy wants to be at Florida State. And now that Florida State's lost the game, you need to need to watch down there what happens in Tallahassee over the next three or four weeks. Uh, yeah, four and one to start guys, the year for them. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing, and, and, and I heard this guy's name, and I know you guys, I think I mentioned it as well, uh, Jeff Grimes. Jeff Grimes would, is probably going to get his opportunity to be a head football coach somewhere, but he's not a splash hire for all. That, nope. That's the same level of coaches that you've hired in the past 20 years. Um, yeah, he's got Auburn ties, but it, and he's the offense coordinator at where? Utah? Baylor. Baylor. Baylor, that's right. He was at BYU, now he's, now he's at Baylor. Uh, those two names, uh, Tom Giffen uh, and, and Primetime, I'm not sure – I think Matt Rule wants to get back to college. He probably going. He probably ain't gonna make it through the NFL season. He's got to be fired but, I mean, first, but yeah, it's not looking great for my team. Yeah. He he did a good job at Baylor when he was there. He turned that program around. Did a good job, yeah. Um, and he did it at Temple. So, and one last coach, I'm gonna throw this over to Georgia Tech just for a minute. If I was, of course, I'm not the athletic director, and they don't have one right now. I don't get. But um, I tell you a name that would be a good fit at Georgia Tech, I think would come in. He's young, he's energetic, and he could probably recruit the you-know-what out of the Atlanta area. And that's uh, Art uh, Browse. Kendall Browse at Arkansas, yeah. Kendall Browse. I think he'd be a great fit at a school like Georgia Tech, ACC, uh, great energy, fun to watch the offense play, you know. But, you know, guys, you just don't know. I just think that Auburn, not only do they need to make the right hire, they need to make a splash hire, and they need to open up the pocketbooks because that's the only way yeah. you're right. going to get somebody to come in there for a splash hire. But anyway, guys, appreciate you taking uh, a call today. Y'all keep up the great work. Enjoy listening to you guys. And, enjoy uh, we'll the anniversary to dinner tonight, Keith. Do what now? I said enjoy your anniversary t- dinner tonight. I'm going to do that. Very much. Thank you, JJ. <laughs> Absolutely. That's our good pal Keith from Auburn joining us there on the program. 334-887-3401. Toll free at one triple eight nine tiger 9 Michael from Auburn. Michael has called in. Hey, Michael. Hey, guys. I was just going to reminisce or see if y'all could remember the uh, when, when Auburn played Florida State in the national championship game and they had Saban as like a guest kind of 
you know, just commentator. He was amongst the group, and, like, he almost kind of got choked up once, you know, FSU had won and talking about his old buddy Jimbo. Like, y'all, do y'all remember that conversation, or do y'all remember any of that? I, I don't know. I- I don't necessarily remember that because I I, <laughs> I think by the time that game ended, I probably had... Walked away, turned it off. Well, I, <laughs> I had probably inebriated myself from the way that game ended, so... So, I'm, I'm just curious if, if, if Saban had that to to look back on of, of, of what comments, because, I mean, he's never been one to run up the score. Uh, I mean, he could have against us in 2012, but uh, I think... The way this game may play out, I mean, he, it, it it may get ugly quick. It may be. I mean, there's all the yeah, all the stuff that was said in the in the off season. It, it's going to be interesting. And then, I mean, if you look, you pay Jimbo seventy million guaranteed. If you fire him, you he he, he it's a ninety three million dollar buyout this year. But they're they're sitting if they lose this week, they're sitting at three losses, and then they got South Carolina and Florida before they get to Auburn. And who knows what happens in that game if we figure something out and playing at home. Who knows? Because they can't score right now, but we'll see how things go. But but maybe that's one that Auburn at least gets one. You know, we normally sneak up on somebody once a year. Maybe the Texas A&M game may be one the way that they're playing. Right. So who knows? Could be. Could be. Good to hear from you today, Michael. Thanks for the call. All right, that's our pal Michael from Auburn joining us there on the program. We got to get to a break, and we got to get oh. to Joe Bartle. Quick thought, Tom. I, I was gonna, uh, have y'all seen the Jimbo Fisher buyout? The the buyouts on there, like uh, 20, eight, 2022, If they eighty in, something million, eighty five yeah. million nine hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> this year buyout. Next year, $76 million. Uh, you finally get to twenty thirty, and it's only a nine thousand nine hundred nine million nine hundred fifty thousand dollar buyout. Nine million in twenty thirty, and Sheesh. by twenty thirty one, there's no buyout. But everything's bigger in Texas. Eighty five million nine hundred fifty thousand dollars if they fired him this year. Let's take a break. Joe Bartle joins the program right after this on Sports Call. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson, Tom Peavy, Ryan the Boy, and Cam Berry. And we are so excited to keep the show moving forward here on this Wednesday. Had a lot of great phone calls so far talking about Auburn football. Another big game coming up this weekend. The Deep South's oldest rivalry, Auburn and Georgia. We've also got more NFL action this weekend as well, including a Thursday night game tomorrow between the Colts and Broncos. As we do each and every week, we're now thrilled to chat with our good buddy Joe Bartle from Rotowire, who joins us now on the program. Joe, thanks for the time as always. How's your week been? That's all right. I have a bit of Johnson Taylor, though, which is disappointing to me. Uh, (laughs) But we'll have to make it through. Hopefully the high ankle sprain will be one that he can come back from uh, relatively quick. We figured you'd be occupied celebrating the Braves winning yet another National League Eastern Division title last night with us. 
Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that would be a celebration for me. More so that the Brewers just continue to choke and that they uh, <laughs> have no clue how to actually win games against bad teams like the Marlins. No, I, kudos to you guys for having a good team that's fun to support. I don't know what that's like for baseball. <laughs> Was the Mets collapse fun for you to watch with no ties again to this division? No, <laughs> I don't really care enough about. Uh, and at least baseball to say yes. That's fair. Baseball. I guess I anytime the big markets can struggle, I will always be for that. So whether it's the Braves beating the Mets or I don't know, like the Washington Wizards beating the the, the Celtics, I will always be more supportive of that. Um, but it, it's one of those things where once the Brewers continue to struggle, then I was like, all right, well, baseball just stinks altogether. I'm done with it. Uh, and unfortunately, they teased me along to the point where I thought maybe we had a shot, and then. Uh, over this past weekend, that was the part that frustrated me. So at that point, you just throw your hands up and say, whatever, baseball doesn't matter to me anymore. It's not existing. It's all football uh, until NBA starts up and I can sell the bucks. <laughs> there you go. So, all right, let's talk fantasy football. You mentioned Jonathan Taylor is going to be out for the Colts this week. That's the Thursday night game, Colts and Broncos tomorrow. Uh, Naheem Hines up next. What does his projections look like going into tomorrow? Yeah, I wonder if it's Neem Hines or is it more Deion Jackson. And actually, I made a case on the Tuesday Rotoware podcast, which you can listen to uh, on any place that you have your podcast platforms, just Rotoware NFL podcast, that I wonder if it's Philip Lindsay. Uh, and I had joke, hey, revenge game Philip Lindsay against his former team, the Broncos. I don't know if that's the case. Philip Lindsay's on the Colts' practice squad. Uh, more so, I don't believe Deion Jackson is going to get 10-plus carries. They've had him on the active roster from a special teams perspective. Uh, he's just done all special teams work. So I wonder if you call it Phil Lindsay and have him carry 10-plus times, and then Naheem Hines gets maybe a few more carries, say two or three, but is more active in the passing game. I don't know if that's enough to say let's go ahead and play Phil Lindsay overall or Deion Jackson. We'll probably get more clarity when it comes to Thursday. Uh, but it does make, I think, Naheem Hines at least a, a flexible kind of player uh, where you can, you can hope that you're getting 10 to 12 points just from a, a pure target-feeding perspective because you look at that, Colts roster. I mean, other than Michael Pittman, they really have nothing offensively. But Vegas has a scheme at over under 42 points, and I'm surprised. I would have thought the city would be lower once the Jonathan Taylor injury news came out and was uh, certainly wasn't playing. But I also wonder if the Broncos dealing with their running back situation with John Javante Williams out now this season could have impacted things too. I don't know. I, I I would be willing to say neither team scores many points and be favored to the under. But Vegas is pretty sharp with this stuff. I think it's 42 points. Maybe Hines and Pittman and the Colts can do something more than I would have anticipated. Let's get one more question on tomorrow's game and then open up to Sunday action. Tomorrow night again, Colts and Broncos. Our guest right now is Joe Bartle from Rotowire. Follow him on Twitter at JB Fantasy Sports. These two teams both feature quarterbacks that are in their first years with their clubs. Russell Wilson with the Broncos, Matt Ryan with the Colts. How do you assess their play through the first four games of the season? Yeah, it's a good point. I guess I hadn't even thought about that part from this matchup. I know prior to last week, Geno Smith was outscoring uh, Russell Wilson in every major fantasy category, which I know zero people would have guessed at the beginning of the season. And that was more so that Geno Smith has played well, but I think it underscores the fact Russell Wilson just has not been sharp. I do believe he's going to get better. Like I think Russell Wilson, the talent, is going to find a way to be successful. But I do think Nathaniel Hackett is just a joke as the coach for the Broncos and is really impacting things. So somebody like Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, who I both liked quite a bit this year, never really got enough shares of either. It might only be a situation where one could be effective. But now that Javante Williams is out, I don't know how this uh, running back situation unfolds. Maybe it means Wilson does more. I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be kind of weird. And, and the flip side of things, 
Matt Ryan has just been dreadful. I did not anticipate that at all. I love Matt Ryan as like the quarterback 18 through 22 range. That has not worked whatsoever. And, you know, the offensive line is a big part of this for the Colts. Why the fact that their top-tier offensive line, Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson, those guys, can't be more successful after multiple years of being one of the top O-line in the league, it, it baffles me. It, that's one of those things where, as a fantasy analyst, you go and projecting one thing, and through four weeks it's very clear something else. So that's, that's what I'm seeing from the Colts side of things. And uh, looking forward to Sunday, um, the Falcons, they announced that, that Cordero Patterson was going to be moved to IR, so he's out for the next four weeks. Um, and the Falcons in the second half of uh, the game against the Browns, they really leaned on Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley. Um, so now with, with guys that have Cordero Patterson on their fantasy roster, uh, would it be a good move for them to pick up Huntley or Algier, or do you think they should just look elsewhere? Yeah, and Avery Williams also got a little bit of work as well too yes. in that contest. I don't, I don't know. It's it's a frustrating endeavor. Um, obviously, Patterson was, I think, he was top four overall fantasy running backs prior to the injury. It's difficult. I would imagine the Falcons use a running back by committee, and I think this match against the Buccaneers is going to be dreadful for that. There, there is no Cordell Patterson that the Falcons have in the roster. I don't think there's many in the league, to be frank, who can run and receive the way Patterson can. I would imagine Algier, and this is what I kind of projected from a prospect profile to enter the year, he's your bruiser, two down back, specifically in the red zone. Maybe Caleb Huntley gets more involved in the passing perspective, and maybe Avery Williams does too. I'm not sure. But Algier has the most defined role, at least in terms of fantasy, where, yes, he's getting the carries you'd think, and also will be getting the goal line opportunities when and if those occur. Now, again, this matchup this weekend against the Buccaneers, I don't see many uh, red zone opportunities being available. But Algier's the one that's more valuable to me, um, not to say that you can't roster Caleb Huntley, but it's more specifically in 12-team and 14-team leagues where if you're really scraping for that last roster spot, that's what I would choose to go to. Uh, sticking with the Falcons, uh, look at Kyle Pitts. Uh, a lot of mixed thoughts on him. Uh, obviously, he's not really done a whole lot. I've seen some people say sit him. I've seen some people say that you still got to play him. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on his season and his potential? Yeah, you say, look at Kyle Pitts, and I'm saying, where? I, I, yeah. I haven't seen him. Is he even on the field? Arthur Smith, what are you doing? I absolutely hate you. Um, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm like wholly invested in Kyle Pitts. That was one of those guys that uh, I had, I think, in six of my seven redraft leagues. I was completely committed to him as a third-round pick, and he has just been completely absent out there, uh, save for one week. It's, it's difficult. Like Guys like Tyler Conklin and Irv Smith and other tight ends that are nowhere near the talent of Kyle Pitts are getting force-fed the ball to the point where this is a question now that you have to legitimately ask, how long can I really keep Kyle Pitts in my lineup? Now, I would have thought the Buccaneers actually would be a good defense with Devontae David um, and Devin White as the linebackers, but they actually allow the third-most fantasy points to wide receivers. You think if Cordell Patterson's out, what are they going to have to do offensively? Drake London probably gets involved, but maybe it's Kyle Pitts too. I just don't think they, they can run a lot. So this might be the, the answer that Patterson can be relied on less. As a default, they have to pass more. That's my only hope as somebody who's completely invested in Kyle Pitts. Um, I will say he didn't practice once with a hamstring injury. That's just something to note. Uh, that would be the, the cherry on top of this crap ice cream so far as if Kyle Pitts suddenly doesn't play this week after right. struggling through three-fourths of the season. Joe, with uh, with Baltimore and Lamar Jackson, Jackson having this big start to the season, at least passing wise, and and then being more committed to passing despite uh, some turnover there with their receivers. How is that affecting the rest of their skill position players that they have passed a little bit more than they have in years past, and, and Lamar's p- putting up some big numbers? 
Yeah, everyone was convinced Mark Andrews was going to be this sure thing. He's been fine enough. He had that one big game, I think, week two, which has made him uh, near the top of the tight end rankings right now. But it's been Devin DuVernay, the, the Texas guy from two years ago, uh, who's really excelled. And I've, I, I tweeted this out last week during the Sunday games. He had only three or four catches for 60 yards. At this point, you were drafting DuVernay, if you drafted him, the very last pick or one of the last picks in your uh, 17 or 18 round drafts. Like he just was not, he was not being valued. But he is clearly the number two receiver for the Ravens. Bateman is the number one and still doing, I think, pretty well. I've been really happy with uh, Bateman the few places I have been. But DuVernay has been quality flex or wide receiver three numbers for this entire season. It's about time that we commit to it. There's also the added benefit that he can actually get kickoff return touchdown points if if you are in one of those leagues, which I'm a few of them. So I, I, I'm surprised. DuVernay has been uh, enough of an asset where you can't ignore him, and it's the point where, especially as we get to bye weeks next week, he will probably be a staple in a lot of people's fantasy lineups. Well, and since we're talking about the Ravens, let's talk about J.K. Dobbins. Uh, is, is he, do you think, a guy that has now moved up to RB1, or is he still RB2? And then just for sakes of I'm sitting here looking at my stuff, he is now questionable this week. It says uh, he missed Wednesday's practice with a chest injury. Uh, your thoughts on J.K. Dobbins and now with the uh, questionable status on him? Yeah, we'll have to see what that is. I think these Wednesday reports, even more so than past years, like during the COVID years, it, it's it's just a way for resting these players. So I, I I react more to the Thursday and obviously the Friday ones too when we get more information on that. So if somebody's out Wednesday, doesn't really isn't a deal breaker to me. As somebody who is relying on Dobbins to replace Jonathan Taylor, boy, I'd be frustrated if Dobbins could not play. But we'll have to wait and see them out. I I was actually convinced last week uh, that we are back. That Dobbins is completely back. Uh, completely healthy. He is that RB1 for the offense, which is really important because Lamar Jackson is so good at running and then opens up those opportunities. I thought the, the fluid movement and just attacking the hole, like we saw his rookie year, that was all back for Dobbins. And I, I'm convinced, like if I was, I mean, I have Dobbins in a lot of places, but if I needed to go trade for him, uh, I'd be happy to do so in redraft leagues. I think he is going to be uh, among the RB1 uh, low-end RB2, well, high-end RB2 numbers the rest of the season. Joe Bartles here with us from RotoWire. Follow him on Twitter at JB Fantasy Sports. Let's quickly transition. You mentioned before joining us here today, you're finishing up a couple of fantasy basketball drafts. That's something else that RotoWire can specialize in. And here we are, uh, under two weeks away from the start of the upcoming NBA season. Uh, if, if you've got, say, a top five pick in a fantasy basketball draft, who are the guys that you should be on the lookout for this season, Joe? Well, I mean, I gotta recommend my guy Giannis, right? I mean, that's that's the Bucks fan of me saying that. But I really think, um, so long as he's able to play and healthy, and you can never project that kind of stuff. So, Giannis is one of the top players for me. Jokic has been now for a while. Obviously, back-to-back MVPs will do that. The question you're gonna have to answer if you have a top five pick is, do you want to commit to James Harden? And I, I know it's crazy after watching uh, the last bit of the season with the 76ers and. And how off, like that wasn't James Harden that we know, but if you believe the weight loss thing is there and that he's more committed to his health and uh, that he's more committed to the 76ers overall, that's the guy that normally averages a like triple-double, right? Like the 22 points, you get close to 10 rebounds, obviously the assist there too, uh, even with Tyrese Maxey around. Like Harden is a possibility, a top-five pick that you wouldn't have guessed. Other ones, you know, Doncic, obviously, LeBron James too, if you believe the health. I think it's it's kind of like Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant and Joel Embiid, depending on what you believe in Joel Embiid's health will be, uh, that really round out that back end of the top five. I think there's the, the top three are locked in, Jokic, Giannis, and uh, Doncic, but it's that four, five, six range that really is kind of interesting in fantasy drafts right now. And Joe, when you're looking at uh, 
adding on here when you're looking at those top guys when you think of top players in the league you know a guy that comes up is a guy that's been injured a lot recently in Kawhi Leonard how how much of a chasm between how good he is as a basketball player but how much fantasy value he has given that we just don't know how many games he's going to end up playing this year due to load management and, and all those magical things yeah the Clippers really do choose to do a lot of load management and it makes sense right the 82 NBA regular season. It's pretty long. The Clippers are going to be a team that you would project them to be a top four or five seed in the West by default, even if Kawhi Leonard isn't able to play. So they're, they're going to be, they're, they have higher aspirations. We have Kawhi Leonard ranked 22 among our fantasy players overall this season for the NBA, and I think that's about right. Like I, I Obviously, in leagues in which you can set your lineup daily, I think Kawhi Leonard has far more value than if you're setting your lineup week to week, which is the more standard version of things. So I think that's one of the disparities. Like when you are Signing up for a fantasy basketball league, you want to make sure that you're aware of the rules. Obviously, that's one of the bigger ones because baseball has that. You set them day to day. NBA does the same thing too, although it's not as popular. I, I like I like Leonard, obviously, as many people do, because he gives you those defensive categories. I think the steals in particular, and even the blocks as well, uh, that you can kind of mold the rest of your roster around too. So I'm going to give you one quick. I know we're running close to the break. I'm going to give you guys one quick sleeper so you can write this one down. Elprin Sengun. The center for the Rockets. He's yeah. one of my favorite overall players. I think he's like right below the top 100 threshold right now in ESPN leagues. I think he is fantastic. I believe the Rockets are going to stink this year. He's going to get plenty of workload, and he is a fantastic passer already as a big man. You factor in the blocks, the rebounds, and the assists he gets. That guy is going to be exceeding his value right now. Elprin Sengud, mark that down. You heard it here first. How can folks let RotoWire help them uh, dominate their fantasy basketball leagues, Joe? How can they do that? Yeah. You can get a 10 day free trial for the site by just going to rotoware.com slash free. Uh, check out everything there. And, and just to you know see if it's of interest to you, we do the DFS stuff, which I know is hugely popular. It's one of our uh, most trafficked sites per, I'm sorry, page per day. Uh, when the NBA season comes around, our DFS model has been great. Uh, and we've been getting far more to the sports betting angle of things, too. I know the last couple of years we've been doing these. I've been writing articles for the, the prop bets. I'm hoping to do it again this year as well, too. Although sparingly, I am a father, right? It's going to take some time to uh, get those opportunities out there. So uh, a lot of different things at your disposal. Go to wire.com. Uh, check, out, check out the site. Uh, then feel free to subscribe afterwards and uh, to any one of the ones that, you know, NFL, NBA, baseball, playoff lineups are out there. We've been, we've been talking about that this week in the weekly uh, meeting. All that stuff is out there available for you guys to consume. Yeah, with the little one in your life, make sure you set the alarm clock and wake up early on a Sunday. Your Packers playing across the pond, okay? So oh, get, yeah, yeah. get some rest on Saturday. <laughs> I will do, guys. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk to you next Thanks, week. That's uh, right. Joe Bartle from RotoWire joining us there on the program. And what that's going to do is it's going to bring us to the end of the hour. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more sports call. A shortened hour coming your way here to wrap up uh, a wild and wacky. This is the wackiest of Wednesdays. Here on Sports Call. Alongside Tom Peavy, Ryan the Boy, and Cam Berry, my name is JJ Jackson. Two hours in the Bucks, and we're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ Tuskegee Auburn, and AM620 WTRP LaGrange. 
Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started today on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry. And uh, it has been an insane show. It's been a wild show for Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. To begin the last hour, we do this. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. (sighs) Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? All right, our Daily Show Recap. Cam, what's happened on Sports Call today? Oh, man, we've uh, talked about the um, Braves and their winning winning the division yesterday. Um, talked a little bit of Auburn football, previewing uh, the game ahead against uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. Talked a little bit with Joe Bartle as well. Talked about some fantasy sports. And uh, talked with a bunch of callers today. Yeah, yeah. We, have, we have been so slammed that uh, our show's going to end a little bit earlier than normal because we've got a lot of bills to be paid. Um, and so without further ado, we'll, get able, we'll be able to squeeze in another phone call about uh, four or five minutes left here before we've got to move on. And uh, again, in the studio with me today, I've got Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry. As we go to the phone lines, Ward Damn Steve. Retired Ward Damn Steve now joins us. Hello, Steve. Steve, you with us? Steve. All right, we lost Steve there. Oh. We can maybe try again. Um, yeah, uh, that's uh, retired Ward Damn Steve, an attempt to uh, be on the program right there. We'll see what we could do. It has been a crazy show, though, fellas. We've been doing yeah. a whole lot of phone calls and everything. Yeah, really crazy show, honestly. Just anytime you yeah. get the coaching search, um, yeah. talk restarted, and and about the current coach and just everybody that you. I mean, because every, everyone's going to have an opinion. Yeah, everyone's going to gonna have in. their wish list. Yeah, everybody wants to weigh in on that who they feel might be best. And uh, yeah, let's try again. Ward, damn Steve. Hello, Steve. Good afternoon, gentlemen. And uh, that uh, disconnect, unfortunately, may be the part of me going to see the movie Smile. Uh, that <laughs> evil entity uh, may be following me around. So uh, I'd be a very skeptical, folks, of anyone that smiles at you in a sinister manner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have not watched that yet, Steve, but I certainly want to. Was it good? Okay. Do you like it? Oh, I, I loved it. The, uh, the acting is great. It's creepy, uh, and it's very it's disturbing, to say the least. Okay? Good. I'll leave it at that. All right, and don't oh, worry about waiting. Yeah. The, <laughs> oh uh, man! Do not do not wait till the end of the credits. There are no extra scenes. Okay, thank you for that. I do always <laughs> I do always check that. Good. Okay. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, question I want to throw out at you. Okay, about last night's home run, uh, hit sixty two by Mr. Aaron Judge. You know the owner. Uh, I saw a video clip was being asked by a reporter. What are you gonna do? Uh, what do you do? He said, I don't know. Well, I just saw this from the AP uh, people. Uh, it says. The uh, owner of an auction house sports, uh, has offered $2 million. Have you read that? That's a wild. Wow. Yeah. Uh, J.P. Cohen is his name. He's the president of Memory Lane Incorporated. 
of Tustin, California. Now, he said he's emailed him, he's texted him, but has not heard back from Mr. Humans, is the guy who caught the ball. Okay. Here's a question I want to throw out to you guys. First, I know that those balls I read about it, we talked about it, were specially marked whenever uh, Mr. Judge was up uh, out to bat, right? Right. Okay, so uh, I'm bringing that up because who owns that ball then, legally? Uh, right now, the guy that called the ball owns yep. it legally. It's his. Does he really own it? Because uh, Major League Baseball, it wasn't just a just a regular you know, run-of-the-mill baseball. It was a specially marked baseball. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe uh, legally they would have no. owner possession of it. He, he, he is owner and possessor of that ball. The security took him uh, to have the ball authenticated. But that is his ball. It is his possession. They say it's worth about two million dollars. Now I don't know if he gave it to. I don't know if he gave it back to Judge for a bat and some thank yous or whatever, or oh, if he's going to no hang on to it and sell it. But uh, it's his. He caught it. Uh, they authenticated the ball uh, there at the stadium. That but that's his. That's that his ball. That guy's already really rich too. The guy that caught the ball already owns some company and oh, he's really? already a multimillionaire. Oh wow! So he so doesn't necessarily need the two rich. million. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. But okay, I, so I'm just throwing that out to you guys. If you had caught it, what would you do with it? Oh, I would I'm, sell it. I'm selling two million. I'm selling that. two million dollars for somebody like us is life changing. That changes my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I understand that. I'm just wondering, shouldn't that ball, shouldn't it deserve to be, you know, in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame? They can buy it from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was selling. I was selling to them. But here, this is the other thing, and maybe I'm just missing the whole thing with Aaron Judge because. Okay, he broke the American League record. Yeah, the AL record. Yeah, 62. everybody, everybody's yeah, made cool. everybody. Sure, it's cool, but everybody's making it out like he just broke some major league record, like this big major league record. Well, you know, it's the, just the American League record. Well, you know, the but baseball that still existed for a yeah. hundred plus. And you years. know, the baseball aficionados don't really recognize no. Barry. Well, okay, so let's well. go there, Tom. I'm so glad you brought that up, my friend, because Cam brought I'm that up. That was me, yeah, that was me. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're Is it good. Ryan? Cam. It's Cam. Cam. Okay, Cam, I'm glad you brought it up. Because here's what I want to throw back at you as rebuttal. Okay, first, Mark McGuire should not be recognized. Yeah, in the National League, we saw McGuire, Sosa, and Barry Bonds all get above yeah. that 62 mark. So Mark McGuire hit 70, and he even admitted that he was using steroids to accomplish that feat. Okay, and then we got the steroid uh, gang uh, who hasn't admitted to anything, and that's Mr. Barry Bonds and Sosa. Do you really want to say that they're legitimately the holders of the uh, season home run record? Well, you gotta you gotta hit the ball, you know. I mean, it's obviously the power thing, but Barry was already a, an extremely powerful. All hitter. of them were. They, they all they're were. all great yeah. players, you know. So, and, I'm with and, you, Steve. Aaron Judge is worthy of celebrating. This is I, I this think is it's absolutely a moment worthy of celebrating. Not cutting in on my SEC games though. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> We've lost our lost connection Steve. with Steve. All right, we'll talk with Steve tomorrow. Steve, yep. we'll uh, we'll get you back on the program tomorrow. Big time moment, Aaron Judge, sixty two sure. home runs. I'm also reminded of the fact when Steve was talking about the big offer and money offers that are out there to actually get this baseball. Aaron Judge is also trying to get a new contract. And yeah. how about that guy? Pain. In a year that you need to play well, you go Pain. out and you decide. You know what? And I'm just almost, gonna hit sixty two homers in a year. And he almost won good the for him crown too. Like. In a, in a year where you need to do pretty Holy much. Holy cow! You just need to play well, and he plays absolutely out of this world. I mean, is that the greatest contract year of contract yeah, years? Gotta yeah, got to be. I mean, has gotta to be, be, right? Now, we'll see uh, what he does in the postseason, because I know 
Yankees fans will then try yeah, to argue and with every strikeout or with every great. bad game, go down ten more million, well, yeah. go down ten more million. Yeah, but because yeah. he's yeah, oh, oh. so well, I know we don't have very much time, but uh, quick hump day update: camel fighting camels. They yeah. won. They did win last week. They won forty-eight to eighteen because over North Carolina Central. Is that a division game? I I don't think that's don't a big know. South. I think Big South starts this weekend. Or conference oh, games. Conference me. game. That was actually North Tom Car- got impatient. I was going to set this up for us. Okay. Well, I thought we were like like running desperately out of time. Time for your sports call hump day update on the Campbell Gamble's football team. There we go. Our hump day update. What do we do, Tom? Try, try the, anytime I can hear the marching band playing the fight song, I love it. I just thought we were like about to completely run out of time, so I had to jump in. Campbell Fighting Camels, our hump day update. They defeat the North Carolina Central Eagles 48-18. to 18. Big dubs. The Campbell Camels. 30-point Camel, win. The Campbell Camels are now 2-2-0 two, two and oh on the year. That was North Carolina Central's first loss. They they came into the game 4-0. Uh, Haj Malik Williams, the Campbell quarterback, 22 of 33 for 248 yards. No touchdowns, but no interceptions. Uh, but they were led on the ground by Bryant Barr, 23 carries, 135 yards, and a touchdown. It looks like they had, uh, oh, two, three, four, five touchdowns by running backs. Uh, Lamasia McDowell, four carries, 24 yards, and two touchdowns for our Fighting Camels. Two and two on the year now. Two Coming and, up. Two and two. Uh, I know they've got a very interesting game coming up. Okay, not so uh, – the very interesting game would be October the 22nd. But uh, October the 8th, uh, Charleston Southern, 0-4-0 Charleston Southern Buccaneers will be playing at Let's go. the Campbell Fighting Camels October the 8th at 3 p.m. So We're counting that as a W. Seeing if the Fighting Camels can keep their winning ways going. And, Tom, we call this segment what? The, hump, the Wednesday Hump Day Update. The Hump Day Update. Where Campbell gets a 48 to 18 victory. All right, the show's almost over. Here's the TV guy. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. All right, a nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer on the television tonight. NHL preseason action: the Boston Bruins, the New York Rangers at six on TNT. Women's College Volleyball, number 15, Florida at Tennessee, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. The Proposal, check out that movie, 6.30 on FX. Women's College Volleyball, unbeaten, Auburn Tigers at LSU, 7 o'clock on the SEC Network. And then also Women's College Volleyball, Oklahoma at number 17, Baylor. A lot of awesome volleyball matches to be watching later this evening. What a fun show it was. Our thanks again to Joe Bartle for being on the program with us. Tom, it's good to see you. We'll see you next week. Absolutely. Cam and Ryan, I'll see you guys later in the week. Sounds good. Yes, sir. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks again to Joe Bartle for joining us. For Tom Peavy, Ryan the Boy, and Cam Berry, my name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.